Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Glani. While we've all been hearing a lot about the metaverse and the exciting opportunities it presents for entertainment over the past year, we're really curious to know about how it'll impact the workplace as well as healthcare. With us today to help add some detail to that picture is one of my closest friends and former Osmosis colleagues, Dr. Vishal Punwani, who's the CEO and co-founder of SoWork, which is helping companies move their offices from earth to the cloud while building world-class culture, productivity, and cohesion along the way. Vishal has built an impressive career in medicine and business and is currently a startup advisor at Harvard and Oxford universities and entrepreneur in residence at Harvard alumni entrepreneurs. And as mentioned, he also was one of the earliest Osmosis teammates as a medical editor and also used to work at the Khan Academy where he knew our current chief medical officer, Dr. Rishi Desai. So Vish, uh, congrats on all your success and great to have you on. I'm so glad to be here, Shiv. You're also one of my best friends. So I'm. this is just exciting for me. Yeah, we've come quite a long way since, since those early days, uh, pumping out questions in the Mather dining hall at Harvard University. So uh, let's start by, you know, I obviously know all about your background, but for our audience's sake, you have a really interesting background having you know, studied in Canada and Australia as a physician, uh, getting into entrepreneurship, now running your own company. Can you talk to us a bit about your own background and your story, like any of the career highlights? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always get a lot of intrigue around like, how I jumped from medicine to tech, but it actually was almost the other way around um, in the beginning. So, you know, I've been a nerd since I was, I don't know, four years old or something like that when my mom got me my first NES Nintendo system. And uh, this was in Jamaica. I grew up in the Caribbean. And, um, you know, my parents got uh, some video games. Like in Jamaica, there's like, at least where we live, there wasn't that much to do besides like run away from stray animals and like play video games and so we were like yeah we'll stay inside and, and play some video games and so um that kind of kicked off our love affair with technology more broadly my brother and i um we moved to canada when i was about 10 the neighborhood that we lived in there there happened to be like a lot of computer parts just kind of lying around all the time like in and around dumpsters and so what we did was we would go dumpster diving around the neighborhood and just grab all these computer parts and then we'd make sure that they were in working order. We'd put them together and then we'd go and just download mass amounts of pirated software and uh, we'd rekit the computers so that they were essentially brand new with all the best software and South Park episodes and like all the things that you would have in 95, 96. And um, we'd sell them around the neighborhood and like we did, we'd make money and we didn't really do anything useful with the money. We just buy video games and candy. But like the point is that we learned a lot about hardware and software and code and business and, you know, all sorts of things like that just from a young age. And it kind of triggered in my mind, like, oh my gosh, you can be sort of autonomous in your own way if you figure it out. In any case, when I was about 20 years old, I moved back to the Caribbean to the Turks and Caicos Islands. Long story short. I discovered down there that, that I wanted to try the medicine path. So I went down that road. I had a really, really interesting medical school journey where some of it was in Melbourne. Um, some of it was at Harvard. And uh, afterwards, you know, actually during med school, I met you. And I remember um, being like, hey, there's this dude. And he's working on like a med ed thing. And his name is almost the exact same as mine, but just scrambled up in a few different ways. And so um, we ended up working together. And I could honestly say that you were the one who got my entrepreneurial spark going again. And it was, it was when I was in med school. So I was very conflicted. I was like, okay, well, am I going to go down the medicine path? 
fully or am I going to do this thing that I, I really think is in my blood, um, which is to be a founder. But I think like the way that you conducted yourself and ran the company, I, I feel like those are some of the best times of my whole life. You know what I mean? I, I learned how to be a CEO from you and um, wouldn't, wouldn't trade that. And so I think there's, there's a lot of really key pivotal moments that happen, but certainly when it was just me, you, Ryan, Caleb, Thassen, Sam, that was one of them. That's super generous of you. And obviously everyone who knows you, Vish, knows that you're just natural at leadership and very charismatic. And I think the medical community probably felt sad that you aren't practicing anymore because obviously connecting with patients is a big, it's a big part of who you are and what you're able to do and add value. But um, certainly with scale, being able to run work and build this massive team to reach a lot of people is, is just one of the things I think both attracted you and me to entrepreneurship. Uh, but I agree, lots of great memories from the early days. I remember that trip we took from Boston to New York on the Fungwa, or like the cheapest bus we could find that actually did break down in Connecticut, wanted to take an Uber and barely made it on time for our meeting with Medscape. Um, some of the best memories for sure in the early startup days. Totally. And when I, when I beat you at ping pong, do you remember that? Oh, I don't, I actually don't remember that. I think um, we have to cut that out of the podcast, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know, a lot of the people who listen to the podcast, as you know, are people like you, people like me who are in healthcare careers. Um, Maybe they want to maintain that or they want to leave either way and start their own company, join a company, lots of excitement, digital health. Talk to us a bit about kind of your own medical journey? Like what are the things maybe you're most proud of or miss? And then are there any things that you learned pursuing the career in medicine that have helped you now as a successful founder and CEO of a company? So it's a really great question. Medicine has been really foundational um, in terms of helping me to sit and do work for like 25 hours at a time (laughs) without moving. Um, So honestly, I I rely on that a lot because there's just so much work to be done, especially in the early days. So I think like really developing great work ethic as well as the ability to retain a lot of information, read really fast, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all kind of like hard skills that I think are um, important for successfully founding a company. In terms of the, and this is going to sound totally crazy, I think, but I still try to work a little bit every year um, in medicine to remind myself, well, for one, it's to keep my, my skills sort of up to date and ready for action. But another reason is so I can remind myself the exact type of culture that I don't want to build in my company. And it, I know it sounds very damning, but, um, and I think medical culture is changing, but I think whenever I go back, I, I see a very hierarchical system where People don't necessarily look out for one another. We actively go against all of the best research that we have in terms of self-care and sleep and um, working with colleagues and developing strong relationships at work and, you know, all of those different things. Um, and obviously building a trusting relationship with the public, et cetera. And, you know, all of those things I, I t- really take to heart. And it's nice to have that reminder every few months so that I can come back to work and say, hey, how do we make sure that we don't build a culture like that? And and for all its faults, like obviously the medical system is working. Like we are helping, we're saving lives, we're doing the things that we need to do. But at the same time, like I, I always like to think, well, how could we do better? Um, so I try to bring that mindset back to what we're building. That's a really, really good point. And uh, 
there's this concept of anti-goals, goals and anti-goals and, you know, things that you set, like you want to grow the company to hundred people or, you know, 10 million revenue or whatever, maybe that's a goal, but the anti-goal could be, you know, we want to do this without setting a terrible culture, right. Without going into this hierarchical system. And so in many ways, knowing what you don't want to do uh, is as almost as important as knowing what you do want to do. So that's a really interesting point you just made there. So going into SoWork, people have been talking about the metaverse for a while. And obviously when Facebook came out and changed their name to meta, um, things that are happening in Web3 at breakneck speed, there's just a lot of excitement and interest in these topics, but confusion and not understanding what exactly is it. Um, so can you talk to us about SoWork and how, what you're trying to accomplish? And then maybe just in that process, give us a primer of what, what do you think the metaverse, why it's so exciting for the workplace and then also for healthcare? Yeah, yeah, I'll try to tackle that in turn. So in terms of how SoWork got started and, and sort of the founding story, I think that's a good way to, to convey this. So um, we'll have to go way back to the start of the pandemic. Kind of like what you said, my team was at the iLab on HPS campus and this is 2020. We were building a totally different software. We we're building machine learning software for education. March 2020 came around, Harvard kicked us all off campus and we were like, all right, I guess we're we're just going to be remote now. And so my team kind of scattered all over the US and, and really the world more broadly. And um, we overnight became just another one of those Zoom Slack teams, right? Like millions of other teams. It was fine for like a month. Um, and then two months went by and then four months and then, you know, five months. And it was just, it, it really started to wear on us because I could see the team that I had worked so hard to recruit and we cared a lot about culture at our company, right? And we still do, obviously. I could kind of feel something was different, like maybe there were bonds that were slipping or fabric was getting a bit looser in terms of our culture. And, and I didn't really like that because, again, in terms of the anti-goal, it was totally anti to what I wanted to build, right? And I think anybody who's worked on the whole Zoom Slack setup over an extended period of time can kind of feel intuitively what I'm talking about, even if we can't put our finger on it exactly. And so I started to sort of rack my brain about the times in my life that I felt the most connected to other people, despite being across long distances. And I kept coming back to when I used to play World of Warcraft 17 years ago. I was like, oh my gosh, like I met some of my best friends in Azeroth, right? Which is the world that Blizzard made. And um, I actually met our founding CTO, Sowork, there. We, we ran a guild together. Um, I met one of our designers there. I met one of our product people there. I met some of my other investor friends in there. Like, this is crazy that all of that happened. We had no video, we had no audio, no like not a real good text chat, but we were just our, our avatars in the game world. And, and somehow all of that bonding and tightness happened. And we also managed to get great quote work done together. Um, if you look at the, this is really nerdy, but the rating <laughs> that we did. And so, um, I said, okay, well, what happens if we build like a wow light where we'd all sort of have our avatars and we'd be in a game world? Like, could we recreate that feeling of connection again? And so we got to work building that. And then we added in like a video layer and an audio layer, security and encryption and privacy, like all the things that a business would need so that we could function effectively. And um, a couple months later, October 2020, we launched our V1 and it was pretty jank, but like completely after working in there for about a week or two, it completely transformed literally the fabric of my team. Like we felt like we were together, even though we weren't together, we felt closer again, we felt more connected. People felt like they had more autonomy. It was just an incredible transformation. And so that's kind of 
how we started. We started to invite other teams that we were at Harvard with into our little virtual office. And they were all like, oh my gosh, can we have one of these? And then they would tell their friends and their friends would say, oh my gosh, can we have one of these? And that's kind of how we decided to put our old software on the shelf completely and just focus on what we were building with, with Silverwork. That's awesome. And that echoes a lot of stories of many successful companies, including Slack itself, right? Like Slack was an offshoot of this gaming company that then wound up becoming the product and the thing that got the most traction. So um, remote work, distributed work, uh, and now telehealth too in the, in the context of the pandemic, uh, everything going digital and virtual has been a, a clear trend before the pandemic and then the pandemic accelerated it. There's obviously been somewhat of a return in some places for some of these things, but it's not going to be pre-2020 levels pretty clearly. So talk to us a bit about the metaverse, its impact on the workspace, like why use SoWork versus just Slack or Zoom, and then, and then any reflections wearing your MD stethoscope as well of like, what do you think the metaverse or SoWork could even do in healthcare? And maybe you'll, maybe you'll reserve some healthcare clients. I know one of your biggest clients is Tinder, uh, which is not a healthcare company, but uh, there's a lot of health ramifications that come out of Tinder, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, tell us a bit more about the metaverse for work and healthcare. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. When we sort of look around the work world today, we kind of see a number of, of travesties in my opinion. So for example, on the people side, like we bucket these into three things. We have the people slash employee side, we have the company side, and we have the planet side. And when I think about the people side, you know, Slack and Zoom, it's not a very human way to work. It's not a very human centric, social connecting experience for people. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that people miss a lot about the physical office is because even though they don't like the commute and they don't like the parking and they don't like the leaving early and all the different things that come with the workplace currently in other softwares that allow you to work remotely, people still complain that there's the lack of social connection. And otherwise, we wouldn't be seeing this huge push to return to the office by by some stakeholders. It just wouldn't be a thing. And, you know, if Zoom had everything, then you wouldn't have people complaining about Zoom all the time, right? It's a great software. Let's like not mince words here. It does a really good job at what it does, but we think that there's a better future for remote and distributed teams. And given that, like you said, we can clearly see the trend moving in that direction where before the pandemic, people were still more and more working remotely, particularly engineers and sort of quote knowledge workers post pandemic or mid pandemic or wherever we are in the pandemic, we can see the trend accelerating. What our goal is, is how can we make things much more human? That's really fascinating. And I agree, uh, you know, as you know, osmosis has been distributed from the beginning and the in-person get togethers, like the ones you and I had in, in Seattle or, uh, or just uh, at AMC conferences, we're just so important to build that trust and camaraderie and friendship. And the fact that, you know, Surwork's trying to solve this problem of humanizing the workplace in a time when between the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, just general political anxieties, uh, and now the greater resignation, investing in employee happiness and culture and connectivity and reducing the loneliness gap through technologies like yours, I think is really important. The other thing I'll say, there's more research that like being on Zoom meetings back to back is not only bad for your eyes and your posture, like any computer screen time, but Zoom dysmorphia, where we spend so much time on these Zoom calls looking at ourselves that like we can be, A, be distracted about, you know, what's the actual content of the meeting um, with our Zoom images up, 
or number two, just not be happy about what we look like. And, and then that leads to more plastic surgery and just like social media has. So those are, those are important points for people to note. So you're solving this by creating this virtual environment. Can you talk to us about some of the successes as well as maybe applications to healthcare? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that kind of ties us back to what you're saying earlier. When you move to a Zoom Slack world, you kind of are reduced to a two by three centimeter video box or or like just a line, like a line in Slack, like that's your name and that's what, that's who you are and maybe a profile picture. And one of the things that we know is really important is for people to have a sense of self at work, right? And for people to have a sense of agency at work. And um, for the listeners who aren't aware, the way SoWork works is basically it's like an MMO workplace, right? So you, you go in, it's a big virtual world. There's lots of offices that kind of live in there. If you, you can run around the neighborhood and see all these buildings and, you know, many of them have logos on them and that's, those are companies who all work in there and you can go knock on their doors if you want, but maybe don't do that if you don't know them. But um, you can go in your office and you have your avatar and you can customize. And basically when you run up to anyone else, like let's say I see Shiv across the office, I can say, oh my gosh, I really need to talk to him. So if I run up to him in the world, our videos will automatically connect over top of our heads. And, you know, someone might, Michael might see us and he might run up to us and then his video will automatically join and Michelle will run up in her video. And when she's done, she'll run away and her video will go. So it's all kind of fluid like that. And it kind of works just like how the real office works, but it happens in, in a virtual world. And when you have the ability to represent yourself authentically in terms of how your avatar looks and dresses and behaves and interacts with other avatars, as well as you have the opportunity to customize your little section of the office. You get to have a little bit of your own representation back and the people around you who see what you're doing, right? Your colleagues, they can kind of see how you're acting in that world, just like how you present yourself in real life. You know, we opened about mid-December and we've had about 3,000 companies move in um, in the past five months. When we talk to some of these customers, they all tell us the same thing, which is, oh my gosh, like the biggest thing for me is I have my agency back. I feel like I'm a human in this world and I'm not just reduced to a two by three box or a line on in a chat box somewhere. Um, I'm me and, and I see my colleagues and I see how they're behaving and I see how they're dressing and I see how they're interacting with others and I see the conversations happening in the room and maybe I want to be a part of them and maybe I don't. That's what happens in real life. But we enable that to happen from anywhere in the entire world. So if you don't want to live in LA anymore because you're sick of the hour long commute, and you want to go and live in like, I don't know, like backcountry Colorado so that you can be around your family or your tribe in other ways, like you can do that and you don't have to compromise on workplace, right? You get the same exact experience no matter where in the world you are. So um, those are some of the things that we're solving on the, the work side. And then on the broader view, you think about the amount of planetary help that's dictated by business practices, right? Business travel millions of employees commuting, um, building skyscrapers, building parking lots, which I think is travesty use of our limited land um, on planet Earth. You know, you think about the number of behaviors associated with work that have a negative impact on the planet. Well, what happens if we can shift, like what our mission is, what happens if we can shift work from the Earth to the cloud so that you can work from anywhere? Well, all of a sudden, you know, if we change the way that Boston works, and then San Francisco, and then LA, and then New York, and then Tokyo, and London, all these big places in the world that dominate a lot of business. Well, guess what happens to our carbon footprint as a species? Well, it massively goes down. 
And so at the same time that we're helping people to live more fulfilled lives um, where they can live around the people that they really love and skip the commute, we're also helping to massively lower the carbon footprint. And therefore, over time, like we could actually help to save the planet. Do you know what I mean? And so it sounds totally grand and maybe a bit unbelievable, but there's a path to get there. And that's the one that we're walking. Totally. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're very sensitive to these issues. Now we're part of Elsevier. Relics is one of the leaders in terms of FTSE 100 companies that are leading the charge on these sustainable development goals and reducing travel expenses. But again, I think part of why we've seen this rebound and people wanting to go to conferences and meet in person is because the last two years of Slack and Zoom has been so unsatisfying. And so trying to take some of those people who've been unsatisfied with that and say, look, yeah, we'll get together for a conference or an in-person once, twice, three times a year, reduce the carbon footprint, but the rest of the time have a more authentic way to collaborate and connect. And I love the point you made about you know, bringing your authentic self to work. I mean, that's part of all the vernacular now in, in HR as well, um, or in just people management and, and culture is psychological safety, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and feeling like you don't have to always put a video on or, or be a 2D box, but there's, there's other things that you're interested in. So I know we're coming up in time. I want to be respectful of yours. Is there anything else you want to talk about the metaverse, so work? Because otherwise I'd love to zoom out and talk a bit more about post-COVID and then any advice you have for, for people who, who may want to be like the next Vishal Pudwani. Um, well, I'd probably caution against that part. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see here. I guess there's there's one thing that I'll, I'll mention, um, something we're really excited about. One of our goals is to build as many or to help build as many healthy teams as we possibly can. And so one of the ways we're going about that is we're working with academics at HBS and Wharton and a few other schools, and we're basically taking the best of business research and we're kind of baking it all into the SoWork workplace so that any team in the world, doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter how small, can basically move in and all of a sudden, without having to lift a finger, the cadence of their organization um, will match all of the best practice that has been borne out by the research over the past several decades. And so it's a way of sort of building healthy teams at scale. And, you know, it, it's something we haven't finished it. And obviously there is no finish because research keeps coming out and we keep updating. But um, it's a thing that we're very excited about because we think not only can we obviously have the people impact, the planetary impact, but we can have a real impact on companies as well by um, aligning what they do in an automated way to what the best practices are, at least on the organizational health side. That's fascinating. So what would one concrete example be? I mean, in my head, I'm thinking like, when you form a team, you know, forming, storming, norming, um, those kind of, you know, evidence-based ways to, to build trust in a team um, or servant leadership or setting OKRs. Do you have a specific example you can share about kind of what you're building into SoWork? So that's kind of turnkey once a team joins that then they start adopting these best practices? Yeah, I mean, I can give probably one of the simplest examples, which is um, just about a separation, maybe boundaries between work time and lifetime, because that's one of the things, I mean, we think it's it's more of an urgent one to solve first or to plug in first because of the more flexible distributed work practices that we all have right now, like work bleeds into life, bleeds into work. And so um, being really thoughtful around how we design for example, automated meetings or preferences that people have taking into mind their calendar, how busy they are, how many meetings they've had in a given day, 
what their time zone is, is what their overlap is with other people. Like, can we show teammates an energy bar, for example? Like, I can see Shiv's energy bar, and he's on like twenty percent right now because just from looking at his calendar, I can see like probably now isn't the best time. So we can let colleagues know if they try to book a meeting with Shiv, or you know, go up to him like maybe tomorrow's better or whatever. So there's a whole bunch of things that we can do in an automated way that's aligned with the research um, about how people can perform in the most healthy way for them and the org. That's awesome. Again, you've surrounded yourself with some of the best advisors and mentors. I think last we spoke, you had dinner with Adam Grant, who is obviously really well known at Penn and, and internationally for his work around the workplace and being a professional. So and you and I have jammed on all sorts of books, the Brene Brown books and other things like that. So it's exciting to see what will happen with SoWork implementing that stuff. Zooming out high level macro trends, you know, we're still in the middle of COVID. Uh, what are some of the lasting impacts you think will outlast COVID um, that the healthcare system and education systems and or the workplace will see? So any, any commentary on macro trends, where are we skating to? I know you're a big hockey player. Where's the puck headed dish? <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I am, but it's unfortunate that my team is never in the playoffs. It's very sad. <laughs> um, when COVID hit, there's three things that fundamentally changed. So school changed, events and in-person social, that all changed, and um, work changed. And now that we're sort of coming to the end, school, at least in non-professional school, um, will will fundamentally go back to normal. For example, kindergarten kids and grade sixes need to be in person with each other because we're a social species. The so school will fundamentally go back to normal. Social events will fundamentally go back to normal. Like whenever I think about, say, you and I hanging out, I would never consider something like this to be the equivalent. You know, like I was about to reroute all my tickets to come hang out with you in San Diego the other day, right? <laughs> and so, um, so social will go back to normal because we are a social species. And then by the same token, work won't go back to normal because we are a social species, but it's the people who we, the people we want to socialize the most with are the people who are in our tribe. And I'm not saying that that's not your, your colleagues much of the time, but as we get older, that tribe starts to change and we see it more and more as, you know, our, our family and loved ones. And those are the people that we want to be the closest to. So I think work will, will fundamentally change. We've reached the point of no return and, and we're not going to go back from a, um, a healthcare perspective, I think COVID has really revealed some gaps. There's a few comments I have. One is we'd better figure out a way to train more healthcare providers, um, doctors, nurses, and so on. I think there's a software somewhere. <laughs> Most of this, yeah. you'd have to fact check me on that. We'll follow. We'll put it in the show notes. Hopefully our audience will, will come across the software you're talking about that, that's supposed to make med school a lot easier and help help train them, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I read about that somewhere. Oasis, something like that, yeah. Osmasis, <laughs> I think that's what it's called. Um, and then the other thing is we'd better figure out a more humane way, just going back to workplace culture, like a humane way to ask all these people to put their literal life on the line, right? In terms of good coverage for, for doctors and nurses, better pay, a kinder work environment that kind of respects their humanity and the sacrifice that, that people make to go down these paths. And these are all reasons I stopped full-time medicine, by the way, right? The calculus just didn't add up to me. So that's one of the things that really urgently needs to be figured out because I think where there's a will, there's a way and the money's there um, and the training schemes are there. It's just that we need to do something about it. 
Um, and then I think without getting into the politics, we'd better figure out a way to strengthen the trust between doctors and the general public, um, because I think that goes a long way too. So those are those are some ways that I think in the post-COVID world, we have the opportunity to learn and do things differently. Yeah, a great summary. Uh, it was a hard question, but uh, you summarized a couple of key points that I think resonate really well. Um, so my final question for you is, is there any advice you'd like to give to, again, people who aspire to be like you, who are maybe pursuing careers in healthcare, entrepreneurship, digitization, et cetera. So any advice you've learned over over your own career that you'd like to impart? So there's a couple of things. Like one is, um, you know, if you want to stick with medicine full time, then I think there's a few things. One is keep trying to change the culture. Like, again, we all actively go against the recommendations for sleep and respectful workplaces and colleague relationships and even kindness to yourself, um, managing your own emotion, helping other people manage their own emotions. So keep trying to change that in medicine because over time, like the, the what is it, the phrase about the arc of justice is long and bends in the right direction. Um, and the other thing is, I think, try to look ahead in tech to see what medical specialties are going to be completely overhauled in short order, relatively speaking, due to, you know, changes in artificial intelligence, machine learning, specifically computer vision, et cetera, um, so that you don't commit yourself to a field for seven years that will radically change without you being prepared for it. So radiology is just the biggest one on my mind, um, but there's plenty of others. So just kind of keep abreast of the latest developments in technology as it relates to medicine. Another thing is just find mentors who are doing the things that you want to do, because most of us actually want to help students and trainees because we remember like it wasn't like I only graduated like five years ago. You know, it wasn't really that long ago. And when you're evaluating mentors, again, like what we were saying, the um, anti goal like, like, look at who you don't want to be like, and try not to make similar choices that led them to that path, right? It's like a subtractive approach that works as well. Um, so those, those are all things I think that are really helpful in your spare time, maybe, like, tinker with code, tinker with crypto, tinker with things like that, instead of maybe doing the next set of 40 questions like like i don't mean to say don't study but i mean at this stage in life we're all still very malleable and i think we we always are um and so just making sure that you're using your time wisely to make sure that you're de-risking all of your different paths of attack it's really really important because the opportunity cost and the um switching cost really adds up over time particularly if you settle down and have you know a partner and maybe kids if that's what you want and etc etc right so you need to be doing all this research early. It feels like we've overcome this huge hump getting into medicine and going through med school and then applying and getting into residency and all that stuff. But like, that's not the end of life. There is a whole world out there and you just want to make sure that you're, you're doing due diligence because you will thank yourself for it. Yeah. That's awesome advice. Both you and I have stepped on and stepped off this, uh, this escalator along the way that with many people just kind of ride the entire way and have very fulfilling careers doing that. But uh, I think it's important to to know that a lot of these decisions are are reversible. So Vish, super fascinating conversation. Really proud of everything you've done, what you're doing at SoWork and how you're building that culture uh, and traction um, and trying to make the workplace a lot more human. I appreciate you coming on and thanks for all that you do. Um, my pleasure to be here. And like I said, man, I could not, literally, I could not have done it without you. I think you were my model as CEO. I learned a lot from you and um, you don't know how grateful I am. So I'll tell it to your big audience here. I'm very grateful for this, man. Thank you.
Awesome, Fish. Thanks again. Feelings mutual. And with that, I'm Shivaglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>